Thank you for coming here today. It's me, Linda Sage, on Learning From Life. One thing I can promise you, there'll be people to meet over the airways here you'll never forget. Some, as long as you live. Let's just say, most have had what could be termed as an interesting life. It's not what happens, it's how you deal with it. And one line from any of them could change the way you deal with things forever. There'd be landing from all parts of the planet, all ages, backgrounds and experiences. Telling the truth of how it was and how they manage things may just help you miss a rock or two along your road too. Hi and thank you so much for joining me. I'm Linda Sage and this is Learning From Life. And as always, we have had some amazing guests and today is absolutely no different. Once again, virtually, we are popping over the pond. This time, the big pond, the Atlantic Pond. And we're going to end up in Georgia, just two hours south of Atlanta. And I'm joined by the amazing Mr. Mark Brown. So, Mark, thank you for joining us. Greetings, Linda. My joy and my pleasure to spend some time with you today. Uh, It's great how uh, we can just communicate so clearly at such a distance. Wonderful. Thankfully, we have technology, and I certainly appreciate 21st century technology myself, yes. Yeah, I think it's made such a difference to all sorts of things, really, and especially for us with communication. Indeed, yes. Now in these times also, with so many people unable to meet face-to-face, having technology has been a real boon and a real blessing. Certainly for me, it has. So... Let's start off. Uh, usually we go through sort of a, a little bit of a timeline. So we'll go back and, you know, Mark Brown, who, who is Mark Brown professionally and personally? Ah, good question. Well, I was born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica. And at the age of 18, on my father's instructions, I left home with about uh, 40 US dollars in my pocket. 18 years old to start a brand new life in New York City. And my father's sister, my aunt, was kind enough to take me in. And I immediately went and found a job as a bank teller, which didn't last very long. And that was in the summer of 1980. By 81, I began to study and, and actually work as a trainee computer programmer, mainframe systems for a bank. And computer programming became my profession. Uh, that was 1981. And at some point, after a couple of job changes, I ended up at Reader's Digest in New York in December of 1992 as, you know, by then a pretty experienced programmer. But there I discovered Toastmasters International. And I joined the club in 93, entered my first international speech contest in 94 by accident, went all the way to the World Championships, and I lost. But... During that loss, I met a man named David Brooks, who was a 1990 world champion who offered to give me some mentoring and coaching. I accepted, and with his help, one year later, I went through all six levels of competition and ended up as the world champion of public speaking. And shortly thereafter, I changed careers. I began doing presentations to youth audiences, ages 12 through 18, as well as several other conferences for Toastmasters around the world. And to to date, well, I've had the pleasure of speaking in five different continents to over one and a half million people of all age groups. And now I spend much of my time coaching other presenters, 
new and emerging presenters, CEOs, corporate presenters, professional speakers. I provide coaching and mentoring services there. I'm also a keynoter and I've done several keynotes. But of course, now I'm doing more virtual programs because we are at this time are, are not traveling too much. We're sheltered in place here in central Georgia. So my career has spanned computer programming and now professional coaching and also speaking as well. And that's kind of the, the Reader's Digest condensed version <laughs> of, of my professional life. Personally, I am married to Andrea now for 38 years. We have three wow. uh, offspring. David is 25. He's here with us in Georgia. He's a, a musician, an artist, a composer, and a writer. And our two older ones are Joel, who's 33. He's a manager of staffing at the D Washington, D.C. public school system. And our daughter, Andrine, is 36. She is a senior attorney with the Social Security Administration in Virginia. And she is so far battling successfully with multiple sclerosis. But oh, she's wow. one of my heroes, one of my, uh, she's just wonderful. And my family is, is, my, is my life, and I'm so thankful for my family. And they have always been my biggest supporters through, th through thick and thin. And they're, that, that's my personal side. The truth is, though, both personally and professionally, they're connected because my wife will, will go with me to Toastmasters events around the world. We've been to India, we've been to Australia, we've been to Europe. And having family support you in your work is a beautiful thing. Even though it may be far away, I know their hearts are always with me. And that's very, very important. I'm, I'm just going to jump forward a little bit because you you mentioned your world championship speech and uh, it's amazing to think it 25 years ago that, that's that correct time, 1995 yeah. must wow. have gone so quickly <laughs> indeed it has indeed it has yes yeah. and and the title of your speech obviously that you won uh, that competition with and i uh, it was so quick from when you joined toastmasters to winning that competition that was very very speedy you must have put well, such a lot of effort in. <laughs> For some, it was speedy. And the title was called A Second Chance, yes. which was kind of interesting because I, you know, I entered the first contest in 94. And the truth is, I had no plans to enter the contest. I entered my club contest on about two and a half hours notice as a late replacement for someone else who could not compete. And I said yes without even understanding the depth and breadth of the contest mm -hmm. because I didn't think after I won the club contest, it led anywhere. I was that naive, not knowing it led to a world championship. And I finally got to the big stage. I think I stumbled my way through, quite honestly, and, and, and learned a lot in the process. I didn't deserve to win in 94. I had so much more growth and learning to undergo. And 95 was my second attempt, and it was a wonderful experience for which I am truly grateful. And I continue to be a Toastmaster. I've maintained membership. I went to my club meeting last week, Monday, virtually, and I continually serve Toastmasters groups around the world to this day. Even, even this week, I'm doing online programs in other countries. So it's, it's a, a pleasure to serve and has been an integral part of my personal growth and development. It's very, very interesting, that, and especially the, the choice of the a second chance, because it was your second time to do it. And, Indeed it was. <laughs> and having a, a second chance at doing it. Indeed. There are several second chances involved, and my life story also involves second chances. And what not everyone knows is in the Toastmasters contest, at the you know, earlier levels, you, only the first person, first place winner normally advances. But in small areas with, with few clubs, they allow the second place winner to advance anyway. 
Mm-hmm. And in 95, the year I won the world championship, I finished second at my club contest, level one of six. But because of that one little known rule that in a small area with four or fewer clubs, first and second advance, I got a second chance to compete. And I took that second chance all the way to the world championships. Wow. So that was really uh, a, a bit of a serendipity there in terms of the meaning of second chance. And there's yeah. also a second chance meaning to do with my life as well, which I'm sure you'll ask about and I can certainly elaborate on should you ask me to do so. <laughs> no, that that would, that would be great because uh, I was actually going to ask you about what you think your greatest strength is. Hmm. One might think my greatest strength would be resilience. I hadn't thought of myself in that way because I have what one might consider to be a bit of a servant's heart. And I think one of my greatest strengths is imparting what I have learned to other people in a simple way. In a sense, I consider myself a servant and a teacher in many ways. But as I look back over my life, as I look back over my life, I realize there have been times I had to have been resilient because again, people are amazed when they hear you, Mark, you went to America at 18 years old with $40 and two suitcases, that was it. And now you're a world champion speaker traveling around the world. And they don't see the arc of the story. But I guess when you have to start a new life with very little, you find ways to make things work. So perhaps there's some creativity there as well, but certainly the idea of being resilient has been helpful to me over the last 40 years <laughs> since I first came to America. And that and, and- may be one thing I could, I could point to, yeah. And, and obviously it's something that you've developed over time. So has that been uh, specifically looked at for development or has it come through experience or th- the way things have gone, really? Mostly from experience. It was never a goal of mine to say, how can I be more resilient? When life comes at you, you have to make things do. And I know you often talk about people having to face challenges and how they handle that. And, and I've had my fair share. In 1992, right after I went to work at Reader's Digest, I went to work at Reader's Digest shortly after my mother passed away in 92. And the following summer, 93, I had collapsed in a shopping mall with severe chest pains. And when I was rushed to hospital, I was diagnosed with multiple pulmonary emboli, which means I had several blood clots in my lungs, and that turned out to be the good news. The bad news was one massive clot inside my heart. And that the doctors gave me at best a 50-50 chance of survival. That part of my story alone tells you I had to be somewhat resilient physically. Mm-hmm. And quite, thank, quite honestly, I'm thankful for some wonderful medical care. And I believe also some divine intervention. There were many prayers offered for me. So much so, I had passed out three times in four days, and I was finally given treatment. I recovered, and I spoke with my cardiologist one day, and I asked him what was his explanation. I said, why am I still alive based on all I've been through? And he gave me this wonderfully deep clinical response. He said, Mark, I have no idea. (laughs) Perhaps it is the grace of God. So these situations, this brush with death and coming to a new country with almost nothing and still going through, still going through. I left my girlfriend in Jamaica for a year. I saw her for two weeks. I left again for a second year. We were apart for two years. We got married. It took her 10 months to get a visa. 
So almost three years of not really being with the girl I love, but we are now married for 38 years and I love her more today than I did 38 years ago. The relationship has had to endure some resilience. So as I look at my life in retrospect, I realize that this idea of resilience has been there, but I never truly, Linda, I never truly focused on resilience. I simply chose to live my life, you know? And, and I think this idea of having to overcome obstacles is just something we must all deal with at some point in time. And it, it continues. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but it continues. Yes, it's very true. I mean, none of us have uh, an easy life all the way through, but it's about choosing how we deal with what's thrown at us, basically. Indeed. And we try. I mean, the thing is, the beauty of life is we never know what to expect. We try to prepare for it, but there's, there, there's several opportunities to learn and do new things because life will send things our way that we just don't know what to expect. But be ready for anything and hopefully we'll get through it. We can't do it alone. Impossible. But at least the mindset that says, you know what, I have to get through this. I will get through this. That should dominate our thinking, especially when these times come around. So how how do you deal with stress and pressure? Hmm. Sometimes not well. <laughs> if, I'm to be, if I'm to be totally honest, sometimes not well. I, one thing I have to do is learn that whatever the stressor is does not encompass my entire life. What happens to us often is when we're stressed, everything's, we see everything through the lens of that stressor and it skews our perspective. And one way I've learned to try to handle it comes from what I do when I'm going to present a program or a speech and I get some unpleasant news, I have to tell myself, remind myself, okay, I have one hour to deliver a presentation I've worked hard on. Whatever it is that's happening now, short of, some, short of somebody dying, is likely going to be there in the next 60 minutes. So let me focus on what I must do now. And when I'm done with the program, I can then try to address the issue. The mistake I have made, and I think some many people make, is we see everything through the lens of the one issue. So now, if one thing is bad, the whole world is bad. If one thing is causing stress, everything else causes stress. And it's difficult to do, but I have found that sometimes simply compartmentalizing, that issue is an issue in and of itself. I'll deal with that issue by itself at one particular time. And so I would think for, it has helped me to not treat everything or not face my whole world based upon one particular circumstance, situation, or stressor. Very, very good point. And I know that you spent a lot of time, and you said there about spending a lot of time working on your presentation, on a speech or something like this. You know, on average, how many hours would you put into preparing for a, a speech or a presentation? That's a good question. And I know people say, I put 100 hours in. Well, after 20, let's see, I joined it. I went to my first Toastmasters meeting in 1992. So it's 28 years in. What In my situation, what often happens is I don't have to spend as much time as I used to in the past because I don't write a brand new speech from scratch per se. What I do is I tell people, I teach this concept. I say great speeches aren't written, they're assembled. So what I do is I assemble, I put my speech together based upon stories I have in my back pocket or in my story file, recent experiences, principles, concepts, 
and ideas I know I want to share. One part of that, Linda, is this. I will likely not attempt an assignment I know is not in my wheelhouse, not my bailiwick. If someone were, were to ask me to do a speech to a conference of a convention of high-level engineers who are focused on aeronautics, that's not what I talk about. If somebody wanted a financial guru, that's not my strong point. I don't touch that. So if I know where my strength is, I simply assemble my thoughts, my ideas, my direction, and I use what tools I already have. So where it may have taken me 50 hours in the past to prepare a presentation, it may take me five now, depending on the, on the assignment. So there's no direct hard case, a solid number, I'll tell you every single time. So that's kind of how, how I operate and, and as opposed to how many hours I operate. Does that make sense? But there's there's been a, an awful lot of hours gone in to being able to do it in that amount of time. Exactly, and and that's why I tell people when you when you hire somebody who's experienced as a as a presenter, don't think in terms of I'm hiring them for a one hour speech. They aren't bringing a one hour speech. They're bringing their life experience, all the lessons they've learned, the wisdom they've gained, the mistakes they've made. They aren't just bringing a one-hour speech. They're bringing their whole experience to your presentation. In the same way, I can't say you must put in 10 hours and then it's a good speech. It may require more or less depending upon where you're coming from, what you already have in place, and how you assemble your thoughts and ideas. That's my perspective on that. And I think there was a very good point that you picked up about when you didn't win the, the contest the first time, that you got the offer of working with somebody who had already won it, and you grabbed yes. that chance. Yes. And what's sad is this. In the Toastmasters World Championship back then, there were nine finalists. Only one champion in 94, Morgan MacArthur, my good friend, which means there were eight, eight runners-up. I was one of those eight runners-up. I learned later that David Brooks made the offer to seven of us and I was the only one who accepted. Wow. I, and I was the only one to return to the main stage the following year. That might tell you something. And I teach this concept all the time. If someone who is where you want to be offers to help you, why would you not say yes? And I still can't answer that question because I said yes, but I don't know why the other six did not say yes. I just... I don't know. I don't know what situation. I don't know. I think but I said yes. The other thing for uh, for me also is very important is the people that you surround yourself with. Ah, indeed. I think it was Jim Rohn, late Jim Rohn, said mm. you are the average of the of the five uh, people you spend most time with. Certainly, in in the field of your endeavor, in your work, in your profession, in your career. You want to surround yourself with people who can help you, but also with people who you can help. You know, one thought is if you are the smartest person in the room, you need to change rooms because you means you have peaked, right? I guess I want to help others. I told you before, my heart is a servant's heart, a teacher's heart. In my family, education runs five generations deep, okay? So I have that heart, but I must also continually be learning as well because if I stop learning, I stop living. So the idea is I need to surround myself with people whom I can help, but others who can support me as well. And interestingly enough, we often think in terms of career and profession when we ask these kinds of questions. But I said before, for me, my first line is my family. 
the family who always supports me, who believes in me, who strengthens me, who gives me confidence. A real quick story from 1995 World Championship. My family and I were living in a little apartment in Mount Vernon, New York on the East Coast. The contest took place in California, in San Diego on the West Coast, a five-hour flight away, literally across the country. And back then my kids were nine, eight and a half months, six and, and eight or something like that, my kids were. And we flew to California as a family. And I thank the CEO of Reader's Digest for paying for my wife and kids to come with me. There's support again. And when the contest is over, we're all being feted and cheered. And my daughter hands me a greeting card, which I couldn't read at the time. I put it in my coat pocket and left it there for two hours. Got back to the hotel room, about to go to the pool to relax. And I felt the card. Oh, I forgot the card in my pocket. I fished out the envelope. I unsealed it. It was sealed. I unsealed it and pulled out this greeting card. Congratulations, Daddy. We knew you could do it. My kids all signed it. My wife was there. I said, honey, isn't it great the kids got this beautiful card for me? My kids are so wonderful. She said, baby, you don't know the full story. See, the kids saw that card. They chose that card and they bought that card just for you. They signed the card just for you. But get this. They signed it, put it in the envelope, and sealed the envelope before we left New York to come to California because that's how much your kids believe in you. I will never forget that. An act of faith. They believed I was good enough to win even before we left New York. The faith of my six and eight-year-old kids to believe in their dad has been a source of strength for me for 25 years and will continue to be so. Because when you're surrounded by people who love you, who support you, who cheer you on, who lift you, who pick you up when you fall, nothing replaces that level of support. And also, knowing that they're there can help relieve your stress because you know that you are not alone. So my family is my biggest first line of defense when it comes to having a team around me to support me and help me. That's a fantastic sentiment, Mark. So what is Mark Brown still aiming to do? You've still got your goals, you still want to be learning. So what's going on now for you? Well, right now, one of my goals certainly is to increase my sphere of influence. When I say that, in terms of people whom I can help, whom I can serve, whom I can be supportive of. I have discovered since we've been sheltered in place the last couple of months, I've gotten so many requests to, to do virtual programs in other countries, particularly in Asia, Saudi Arabia, India, Nepal, uh, Vietnam, and all these countries. I've done some and some are still coming. And realizing that I'm able to influence, inspire, and support other people has been a really big boost to me. This past Saturday, two days ago, I did a three-hour program for the National Speakers Association Georgia chapter, and I've been asked to speak at other chapters around North America. So the goal is to broaden my sphere of influence, to inspire, educate, and teach more people so they can be effective on the platform, to have that kind of impact in terms of supporting, lifting, helping others. That's my goal, to double to triple, to quadruple that sphere of influence with the goal in mind of empowering other people to get their messages out and hopefully have an impact on the world. It may sound like a, a pipe dream, it may sound romantic, but I do believe all of us have influence. And if I use mine well, it'll be for a good cause.
And that's where I am right now. So are you working on a particular program at the moment? Well, much of my teaching now has to do with how well other presenters can perform on the platform. So I'm teaching a lot of that around the country and certainly within Toastmasters groups as well. I've also begun doing a podcast with my dear friend Darren LaCroix, also, like myself, a certified speaking professional and world champion. We do a podcast weekly. It's called the Unforgettable Presentations Podcast. Our goal is to teach people, uh, interview others, and to share tips and tools for delivering unforgettable presentations. There's also plans to write a book that we're working on. That's coming. We'll get, you'll hear more of that down the road. In terms of specific program, I know what my niche is. I know what my market is. And I don't try to deliver a, a whole slew of programs to cover 95 different topics. I think that I'll spread myself too thin. I focus mostly on communication, upon leadership, and on performance. And I'm going to stay in those lanes right now and drive deep down and hopefully, again, create people, help create an atmosphere of, of, of influence, positive influence, excellence in performance, in communication, and hopefully help people to live better lives. It may sound like a dream, but without a dream, we can't really go forward, can we? Oh, no, that's so, that's so important. And I think you know, the, the action that goes with the dream is so important because that gives you your outcome. I would certainly, I certainly would agree, and I try to stay active. The key there, key there for for me, for everybody else, is this: with all our activities, we must find balance to keep our lives in in check. You know, our health has to be in check. We have to make sure our our time with loved ones is also used well, because I know there's a, a drive. We're we're driven human beings, and we've been taught to perform and to focus on our work and be better and be better. Yes, that's true. But we must also find balance in our lives. Be healthy, eat well, get some exercise, move our bodies, get some sleep, get some rest, relax, and enjoy the company of people that we love. I, I, I hope I'm, I would hope I'll be seen as a rounded human being. You know, um, we are all I believe we're all also spiritual beings. So whatever that means to you, to lift your spirit, do what is necessary, do what keeps your mind calm. And I also recommend spending five minutes or more a day in solitude and in silence. Just breathe, just be, just relax. And yesterday I found myself with my father's old binoculars outside watching the birds and the rabbits and the squirrels and listening to the bird song and thinking to myself, you know what? We need this time alone. We all do. No, we don't all have backyards with animals in them. We don't all have my environment. But if we make the time to be silent, be, just be us, be quiet, and center ourselves, that can go a long way to relieving those stressors we face every single day. And that's been my experience. That's a fantastic picture you just painted there, Mark. A beautiful scene. So Thank I'm. You. I'm Fortunately, time always gets the better of us because I'm sure we could talk for forever because you're just such a mind of information. I'm just going to throw one one more question at you. That sure. if you your 18 year old self when you came over to New York with virtually nothing other than sort of the determination, if you'd given him some words from where you are now, what would you say to him? In complete honesty, 
I would tell him to be very mindful of how he handles his finances. Be very astute, be very wise, be careful who you listen to, and be very careful of the lifestyle people tell you you should live. Uh, I'm happy to say that my son, who's 33 years old, he took my advice and he's doing very well in that, as did my daughter. I would have loved to have told myself that had I, had I known what I know now 40 years ago. Um, but the good news is we learn and hopefully we will teach what we would have learned to others. So I think my 18-year-old self, having learned that lesson, would have put me in a much better financial place than I am in now. But the life experience I've gained, the family I've been able to be a part of, and the friendships I've built over the last 40 years really outweigh financial benefit. And I think I'd love to know when I leave this earth and people remember me, I'll be remembered not so much as having a great wealth and great lands and properties, but having invested my life in others and truly made a difference to people and in some small way have been significant in other people's growth, development, and they'll say, yeah, it was worth our while to spend some time with that man. Oh. Mark, that is just amazing. And you are, I mean, you're, you're such a generous soul. You are always there if people reach out to you. So thank you so much for that one. I really well, appreciate Linda, it. Thank you for the honor of being here today and, and being having a, a wonderful conversation. You're right. We could talk for an hour or more. <laughs> and I remember when we were uh, in Las Vegas at a program, we met you. And, and, and yeah. I'm just so thankful you would think to ask me to be a part of your program. Thank you so much for that. It's just amazing. And uh, helped by this wonderful communication right across the pond. So we don't, uh, now we can't travel, but uh, it'd be nice to be able to do it again one day. Well, hopefully we, we, we can. And if any one of your listeners would like to get a hold of me, I'm not that hard to find. You know, my website is markbrownspeaks.com. That's Mark with a K, M-A-R-K-B-R-O-W-N-S-P-E-A-K-S.com. Markbrownspeaks.com. The podcast is unforgettablepresentationspodcast.com. Learn more from us there. And I, one of my, you know, one of my joys is giving my services and my time, but also serving my clients who are considering going deeper into the idea of public speaking. And they can also find about that on my site. There's a coaching link there if anybody's interested. Uh, and Linda, again, thank you for the honor of, of your time, but also serving you and your listeners today. Oh, thank you, Mark, so very much. Also, Mark has a fantastic amount of videos on YouTube as well, so you can actually see him in action, and he's just mesmerizing. You go back, the second chance uh, video ah. is just <laughs> yes. phenomenal. Thank you so much. That's uh, Yes, if someone were to go to YouTube and look for uh, Mark Brown, 1995 World Champion, it'll pop right up a second chance. It's only 6 minutes and 48 seconds long. But the interesting thing is that little speech I gave has become a keynote that I gave in schools for many, many years, and over a million kids have seen and heard that presentation. So I'm thankful again that one little thought became a program that has touched so many lives, and I am grateful for every opportunity to serve. And, and if you hadn't become a speaker, I'm sure you could have become a, a singer and an entertainer. 
<laughs> well, that I voice. guess you heard that little line there. Well, you know, I did sing quite a bit when I was younger, but I'm not sure the, the voice is what it used to be. But every once in a while, I do sing a line or two. And I, I think I, I get the hint, Linda. But I, I'll, I'll use a little line, a little vocal line here. You know, we talk about our program being unforgettable presentations. And every once in a while, I'll just say, unforgettable, that's what you are. I'll give you that line right there. Oh, I'll just, just float away <laughs> on the clouds with that voice. Thank you so, so very much. No end to your talent, Mark. Thank you so much. I much appreciate all your time that you've dedicated to us today as well. So hopefully everything will really go well. People can get in touch with you and uh, maybe we'll come back for a second part another time. Hey, Linda, I'd love that. Thanks again so much. Thank you, Mark, for your, for your time today. And thank you all for listening to us. And uh, hopefully you have gained lots of golden nuggets. Don't forget, the great thing about the podcast, you can go back and you can listen to it time after time again because with Mark's knowledge and uh, generosity there, we've learnt so much. So uh, for now, look after yourself, take care of yourself. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded in conjunction with the Chapel FM Art Centre and East Leeds FM radio station. For more information about them and all the good work that they do is www.elfm.co.uk. And to know more about what Linda Sage is doing, her website is www.lindasage.com. Also on all the other social medias.